welcome to episode three of Your Words Against Mine, a competitive reading podcast against siblings. I'm your host, Elizabeth Connor. I'm your co-host, Thomas Dempsey. And this is... And let's get started. Yeah, this is a week or week three. It's the start of week three of our Mm -hmm. year-long competition. It's the second episode. And uh, in this episode, we're going to be just talking about our reading progress thus far. We're going to be assigning a new reading challenge, the first reading challenge of the year for Elizabeth. And uh, But before we do that, one thing I sort of had in mind that I re- realized we hadn't covered until now was a uh, retrospect of what we were reading last year, because we were both pretty deep into some personal reading challenges in 2020 and i know Mm -hmm. in our very first episode you spoke some to uh how that was going for you but we never really got into specifics so uh do you want to just talk about what your 2020 reading was like yeah so my 2020 reading um was primarily ebooks i just kind of tore through the kindle unlimited library and i also had a personal project that i mentioned in the first episode where i wanted to read all of the books mentioned on the podcast um all the books and so i read two of the books from that first episode but i mostly pretty much stuck to kindle unlimited um and that was how i was able to meet my goal and surpass my goal. And I ended up reading 121 books for 2020. Nice. And uh, any um, sort of preference or general uh, trends amongst your reading from last year? Lots of romance. Lots of romance. Some of it was good. Some of it was weird. Some of it was terrible. And a little later in this episode, when we get to talking about what we've read, um, starting January 1st, you will continue to see those trends. All right. Sounds good. Uh, my own reading wasn't quite as prolific. Uh, at the By the end of the year, I had read about 22 books, like just sort of like just novels, nonfiction I, my initial goal had been to read 52 books by the end of the year, so obviously I was like 30 books short. To help pad that out, I wound up turning to another source of reading that I had been engaged with uh, over 2020, and that was manga. So I read, I probably read a lot more manga last year than I did any other kind of book, and I generally didn't uh, include that in my reading challenge just because again a lot of uh, manga volumes can be read pretty quickly and it uh, generally felt like not cheating or uh, anything but sort of like not really in the spirit of the competition in the same way that I guess uh, we're sort of framing it uh, with this competition whereas it's not Mm -hmm. an invalid form of uh, literature or storytelling it's just sort of falls outside of a uh, of a framework that's makes it easy to quantify for a com- from a competitive standpoint. But at mm-hmm. any rate, I had to do something, so what I wound up doing was 
taking a bunch of volumes and consolidating them. So um, probably the thing I read most of last year is this long-running uh, Japanese comic called One Piece. Mm. Like It's been running since summer 1997. It's been in publication near constantly in the 22 23 years since then in fact just the other week the series produced its 1000th weekly chapter and oh uh, wow yeah so i uh had been reading that for the most part and i didn't get caught up like i wanted to by the end of the year but i had read enough to bring my reading total up to uh 47 if you factor in what are known as the omnibus editions of this comic so what'll happen is yeah is each 10 or so chapters will be condensed into a trade paperback that is sold in stores and then after a certain amount of time uh, every three trades will be collected into an omnibus so you'll have these mm-hmm sort of thick bound volumes with, about, with approximately 30 chapters per. I would count each of those towards my reading goal. And I wound up reading about 26 or 7 of those. Okay. And then at the end, just for the heck of it, I uh, reduced my reading challenge goal from 52 to 47 because you can just do that. Uh, so I don't mm-hmm. ha- have that shame hanging over my head. <laughs> but uh, I uh, I think I'm in a much better place this year where it comes to reading challenges. And I'd say that probably makes for a good jumping off point to talk about uh, what we've been reading so far this year. Okay. Um, before we get into that, I had one more point of interest that I noticed yeah. um, this week when it comes to actually like determining the number of pages or the number of words in a book. Right. Um, so, and I'm going to try to be as quick as possible because we have talked about this at length. Sure. And I'm sure we will revisit it throughout the year. Yeah. But I was reading, um, I read from the Kindle app on my iPhone 6 a lot. And I noticed that at the bottom where it tracks your progress, I was not being given page numbers. I was being given location numbers. Okay. So yeah. this is like a, I guess this is like a Kindle only thing or like an Amazon only thing. I'm sure. not sure. It is, so, dif- it is different from other readers I've noticed. Like I tend to use the Libby app to read library books. And I've also purchased a couple of books through the Google store and Google Play has their own sort of e-reader app that uh, you use. And each of those has more of a dedicated page function, although that, I think, is uh, variable. Like, you can change it to display pages read or percentage of book, etc. So, anyway, I did a lot of research, and if you have, like, a more modern iPhone than what I have... Um, or if you have the actual Kindle e-reader, like you can change it between the two different, um, data types. So you can actually change it from location numbers to page numbers and vice versa. But I guess because my phone is an older model, I'm not able to do it. So I went and I did some research, like how do I convert for, 
the purposes of our algorithm, how do I convert these location numbers into page numbers? And I found like a Reddit thread where someone was like, you take the location number and divide it by 20 and that gives you the page number. That's trippy. (laughs) So to be honest, like, because that was the only like concrete thing that I found that's what I had to use for a couple. That's what I used for a couple of my books. And to be honest, I genuinely feel like that gave me a more accurate number for in terms of word count. Okay. So you're thinking it all worked out in terms of uh, getting it sorted for the challenge? Yeah, I think I think it all worked out. I feel like uh, my current word count status, like even if with the two books, with the location numbers, even if they were you know, under by a little bit, I think it, it, I think it evens out because I have a feeling that the other two books that I read maybe which provided page numbers instead, maybe over their word count that the algorithm gave a, or gave me. So I think it, I think it evens out in the end, but I just wanted to throw that out there that like, that was an issue that I ran into that I had to like do some research and kind of figure out what am I going to do with this data. Okay, well, that's, I'm glad to hear that it's uh, working now, and uh, that'll be something we can talk about. Are you actively tracking your word count as you go along? Yeah, so what I do is whenever I finish, almost as soon as I finish a book, or if I don't have time to do it in that moment, um, I will not, like, if it's a Kindle Unlimited book, I won't return it to the Kindle store immediately. Um, but whenever I finish a book, I go ahead and I work out the word count using the algorithm that we established. And then I keep track of it per, I keep track of it per book. And then I went ahead and found the total so that I could present it at the end of this episode. Yeah. Okay. That'll be good that we can end on, uh, word totals respectively and, uh, we'll get back to it. Uh, we'll be... Anyway, I think this is probably a good time to take a break, and then when we get back, we can talk more specifically about what each of us have been reading, and then finish off with the assigning of a challenge and maybe the revealing of a word count. Okay, sounds good to me. All right, so we're going to do that. Going to be back in just a minute. Or, well, okay, that's the thing. Huh, real quick. I know for taking breaks in podcasts, the idea is that you're leaving yourself some room to uh to insert to sponsorships insert, to insert sponsorships or commercials etc and um we aren't doing that yet uh presumably don't really have any concrete plans to but i guess but we could in the future yeah we, i guess we could and i guess it's better to sort of allow for that so you're not just having ads interrupt whatever you're talking about but yeah. uh, that's yeah that's just uh what we've been doing i don't think either of us has a problem with doing it so we're just gonna keep on keeping on and uh yeah we'll see uh after the break Alrighty. and we're back from the break which to be clear is literally just us being quiet for a couple of seconds my understanding is that certain uh podcasters will actually like take breaks either to i don't know drink or go to the bathroom 
or anything like that. But uh, we very much are just, uh, I don't know, faking it. <laughs> we are very much two regular working people who are very passionate about reading and therefore produces podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So do you want to start us off on what we've been reading? Uh, do you want to go through everything you've been reading so far? Or do you want to like do a back and forth? I, I kind of figured we would do a back and forth because I have a feeling that because all of the things that I've read, um, I've read four books since the start of our challenge um, or since the start of, yeah, the, since the start of the competition. And they're all very similar. So I feel like if we go back and forth, we can, it'll break up the monotony of what I've been reading. Okay. Yeah, and I've been reading four books as well. Uh, they're all really short. I'm very much holding to that uh, initial plan of reading a bunch of small books up top to help pad my uh, reading total numbers early on and then afford me a bit of a buffer when it comes to reading longer books later in the year. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've read four books, so I think we can just go back and forth. Uh, first, I'll get us started. The first book I read this year was a uh, new translation of the novel Hour of the Star by Clarice Lispector. She is a uh, Brazilian author who has sort of come to recent renown in America after a lot of her short stories got uh, translated for the first time a few years back. And uh, that's when I heard about her. I uh, picked up the collection of her short stories and then promptly proceeded to not read them for five years. <laughs> but um, now the same publisher is going... Yeah, now, the, problems. Yeah, now the same publisher is going through and doing her novels, which are honestly more novellas in terms of length. Like this book here, The Hour of the Star, was her final book published in 1977 before her death. And it's like excluding like ancillary inclusions, like introductions, uh, afterwards, uh, historical context, stuff like that. It's barely a hundred pages. Okay. But, uh, I mean, it's a really good read. It's kind of a meta-narrative. Meta um, the thing about it is it's uh, Clarice Lispector was um, obviously a female author, but uh, her story here is about uh, the life of a woman as written by a man. So the con the conceit of the book is that there is an author, a male author, who one day sees a woman walking down the street. And something about, I guess, the uh, seeming ordinariness or non-noticeability of this particular person just struck them. So the book is the author's conception of what that woman's life is, and the story of that woman's life. Throughout the book, as you're actually getting into the narrative of this woman, you're constantly getting these interjections by the author writing it, uh, just sort of like getting in his own head about it, sort of interrogating certain parts of the story that he's not really interested in. And I feel it, it seems like the whole novel is an exercise in uh, concepts of objectivity and subjectivity when it comes to writing kind of an interesting thought experiment of a story mm -hmm. uh, it's 
again, like an older story, so it has a lot of uh, framing materials included with it, and that sort of, if you're like me and you read it all in order, that sort of gives away the game where the plot is concerned. But mm-hmm. the thing I like about uh, books like these is that they're very sort of plot agnostic to where the uh, seemingly the artistic merit of the book is less about what happens as how it is conveyed. Mm-hmm. So even though I, uh, to a degree, understood what was going to happen throughout the book, I still very much like found myself uh, swept up in it. Mm-hmm. My first book of um, 2021 was After Darkness Falls by May Sage. And it is from the series um, After Darkness Falls. It's the first book in the series. And this was a Kindle Unlimited book. So it was included in my Kindle Unlimited membership. So I didn't have to like pay extra for it. Um Basically, the book is about this young woman uh, named Chloe, who she's had a rough life, as you know, I feel like most female protagonists do in the types of books I read. Um, She, but this one's got a little bit of a twist. She was the daughter of a serial, of a cannibalistic serial killer. Okay. She had no idea um, until her dad got caught and I'm not exactly, I can't remember how her dad got caught, but her dad got caught. And so then, um, she had to go on the run because he had like 12 or 13 victims and their families, the families of the victims wanted vengeance. So she ends up in new Orleans concurrently in the book. The paranormal community has come out to the public. So, the everyday working person is now aware that witches, vampires, shifters, huntsmen, um, all sorts of paranormal creatures, they are aware that they exist. So she ends up in New Orleans and she's working at a paranormal bar for the vampire who basically runs New Orleans. And she's also very good friends with the witch who runs the coven for New Orleans, which is, of course, like one of the biggest and baddest covens. And then these people start showing up to her work or showing up to her home and they're trying to attack her and they're trying to kidnap her. And she's got no idea why. Um, So she's like, oh, well, the families of the victims are trying to are like putting hits out on me. So she has obtained her bachelor's degree. And so the her boss, the big the head honcho vampire of New Orleans is like, I'm going to help you out. And I know you want to like go on and further your education. So he helps get, he sponsors her to go to, it's like the Institute of Paranormal Studies. Yeah, that's exactly what it's called. I'm getting the vibe of like a really roundabout sort of Harry Potter vibe. Kind of, but like with sex. So anyway, she ends up going to the Institute of Paranormal Studies and she is escorted there because she comes upon a tragedy. She's escorted there by a member of vampire royalty and people are kind of like, you know, like she's like, this girl's really cool, but she's really cool to be like a regular person. Maybe she's not all she appears to be. Um, So anyway, the book is marketed as a romance novel. 
Yeah. And there is romance in it. But what I appreciate is that the romance is actually a much smaller part of this particular book than the world building and the action and the politics of this particular world. Um, It very much takes a backseat to, you know, this is what's going on in this world and this is how things are. So anyway, I will definitely be venturing into the rest of this series to see if I like it as much as I like this first book. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I hope uh, the rest of the series turns out as good. I hope so too. So my second book is Why Fish Don't Exist by Lulu Miller. This is a book I heard about on a reading podcast I'm a fan of called uh, Reading Glasses. It was one of their uh, favorite books of 2020. And it is a autobiographical nonfiction uh, story about Lulu Miller's life and her sort of grappling with these existential crises that sort of uh, hound her throughout her life. She talks about being a child, having a very anxious relationship with her family, her sort of rub-ups against suicidal tendencies, and throughout her life, she's been trying to find, like, ways of grounding herself and her, like, giving, like, a sense of meaning to her life, and at a point, one direction that she's sort of drawn to, especially considering that her family comes from uh, an academic background, is the life of this one famous taxonomist named uh, David Starr Jordan, who himself was uh, a prominent scientific figure at the late uh, 19th, early 20th century. He was uh, one of the founding faculty of uh, Stanford in California, Stanford College. And the book is, by turns, an autobiographical, autobiography about Lulu Miller and a biography about this guy David Jordan and uh, it's really interesting how the book narrativizes Jordan's life because it takes some turns and a lot of these turns are both obviously appropriate given the guy's existence but also interestingly framed around how Lulu's relationship with this person changes the more she learns about him and there's just a really rich like bed of themes that the story digs into uh that the book digs into in terms of going through this guy's life and uh the world as he influenced it and her own life and the people that she meets as a result of working on this project it's just really well written like a quick read it's probably in terms of page length the longest book i've read this year so far but i probably read it faster than uh a couple of the other books i've read so that should tell you that it's like super accessible it's um super compelling would uh like to sort of see more of what else she's written or if she's got anything else in the works my second book and this is actually going to be very very short my second book was The Duke and I, which is the first book oh. in the Bridgerton series okay. by Julie, Julia Quinn. Um, this was actually a reread for me. Um, yeah. I've got my Goodreads information pulled up. I'm going to see when. So obviously I've read it 
since the competition between us started. But the last time I read this book was in 2016. Okay. Um, I didn't realize it was really, that old a series. So I, thoroughly, I actually think these books were first published in the early 2000s. So I reread this book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And that's all. And I reread it because I want to watch Bridgerton on Netflix. Yeah. But I haven't found time to do that yet. So so it's already on there. It's been on Netflix since I think Christmas Day. And has already been viewed in like 60 something million households. Okay. Like it's broken all kinds of records. And now the Netflix people um, are talking about because there's eight there's eight Bridgerton siblings so now Netflix is like well because the first season was so popular we may actually do a season per sibling which would be eight seasons Um, well I'm still only reading two yeah you're still only reading two that was all I required but that is also all I'm gonna say about it because I want to save it for if you are able to finish your challenge by the next episode. Okay. Well, I don't know if I'll be reading the Duke and I, uh, specifically. That's true. You might not be. It'll really be up to whatever books I can find. And I do seem to be on the trail of a couple of paperbacks at my local library. So I will let you know how that goes, obviously in the next episode, but, uh, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, my next book will also be a pretty quick one, mainly because of the four books I've read so far, it's really the only one I uh, didn't really care for. Not that I can say it's bad, but it's just, it's very meh. It is The Silence by Don DeLillo, who is an author I've actually encountered a couple of times before. He's got uh, this one famous novel of his that I believe he was like, acclaimed and awarded called white noise and uh this other this more recent book of his called i think zero k like a weirdly unnerving sci-fi novel and this most recent book of his the silence is only like a hundred and something pages long i think adjusted uh taking out chapter breaks and such it's just over 70 pages so it's again basically a novella but um, what it depicts is the first hours of a techno-apocalypse. So it starts off with this couple on a plane, this other couple and their friend sitting down to watch the Super Bowl in anticipation of the uh, couple arriving to meet them. And then all the technology in the world goes out. All electronic devices first, and then seemingly the power grids start to fail. And uh, eventually these people just find themselves sitting in darkness, having to make do, get to where they need to go. It's You can tell, I feel like, you can tell why this idea was interesting to him, because it seems like DeLillo's preoccupation is with, I guess, modern alienation. And a lot of that is expressed through people's relationship to media and technology but in this book it just seems so much like it's like there's no real engagement with the technological aspect beyond what would people do without their technology and uh it just seems like 
the shortness of the book is really indicative of how much he actually found himself able to say and even in terms of what he gets across it's uh not the most compelling read i uh can't really imagine that i would have read a longer book in the same like voice but uh for 70 pages i was fine knocking it out and um I feel like that's probably its greatest strength is its brevity, so you can just sort of pick it up and put it down. Okay. Question for you. So you said that all the technology stops working on Super Bowl Sunday, right? Yes. Do you think Super Bowl Sunday should be a recognized American holiday? No. I've heard this argument from people. Well, what's the argument? That basically, like, even if people do not watch football, they will sit down and watch the Super Bowl. Whether it's for the actual football, like the actual sport, or if it's just for, like, the camaraderie of, like, the Super Bowl parties, which I doubt will be happening this year. um, Or if it's for, like, just to see the commercials. um, It's like, so many people take Super Bowl Sunday to commune and get together and party and the monday after super bowl sunday is the number one day when people call out of work sick quote unquote yeah so that's the argument i've heard for just going ahead making it a holiday well it it sounds to me like you'd want to make the monday after a holiday true but then you could also put the argument of you put the super bowl on that monday since people are taking off work instead of but then they they wouldn't. But then they wouldn't be come. Then they wouldn't be coming in on Tuesday. Yeah. Because you're not gonna make a holiday out of people getting over their hangovers. I mean, I'm I I, I would personally find that more endearing than making a holiday around a sports game. <laughs> Elizabeth, I'm here. Hello. I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Your your screen is frozen up on my end. Yeah, your screen's yeah, frozen you. on my can end, too. I can hear you. Yeah, okay. I, I say we just um, carry on as we were. Technical difficulties. Uh, oh, wow. That's actually pretty spooky now that I think about it. What's that? Just got oh, done yeah. talking about that. And now... Or... Yeah. But uh, and anyway, uh, do you want to go ahead with your uh, third book? Yeah. So my third book, um, and it was called... Rising After the Dawn by Tamar Salone and Heidi Catherine. And it is the first book in the in the, the Thaw Chronicles. So it's the first book in the Thaw Chronicles. Okay. Sorry, that was that's kind of a mouthful. The Thaw Chronicles. Okay. Sorry, like the singer in me is like sitting here thinking about vowels and consonants. Anyway, getting on to the book. Um, this is a young adult novel and it takes place in a dystopian future. Surprise, surprise. And um, it is about a colony of people who live on a ship. And the colony is called Escala. And the story revolves around four characters three of whom um have lived in Ascala for their entire life the characters are 
Kian, Nova, Dex, and Ren. Um, Nova, Kian, and Dex have lived in the colony of Ascala their entire life. And Ren is a group is part of a group of people who do not live within the colony, um, who live somewhere else. We're not they're called the Outlands. And this group of people is called the Remnants, meaning that they are the remnants of humanity that did not make it into the colony. Because in this particular colony, their focuses are on environmental conservation and promoting intelligence and empathy and kindness in the future of humanity. So in order to do so, whenever colony members turn 16, they have to go through a seven-day trial. Um, There's four tests over the seven-day trial called the proving. And if they pass, quote-unquote pass, the proving, then they are considered bound. They receive wedding bans and they are allowed to court other bound members of the colony and they are allowed to reproduce. If they fail the proving, their finger, their ring finger on their left hand is cut off and they are inserted with a microchip with a sterilizing agent, and they are not Whoa. allowed to reproduce. Okay, that's cool. And it is filled with a lot of teenage angst and strife and a lot of teenagers having to make adult decisions, which are all very popular things in young adult novels. I personally thoroughly enjoyed this novel, um, and I will probably be diving into the rest of the series. Uh so I didn't. I'm sorry. I didn't pick up at first that it was a young adult novel. Um, yeah. Um, I, on Goodreads and on Amazon, but on Amazon, it actually recommends this particular book for students in seventh through twelfth grade. Okay. Which I would feel comfortable giving this book to an eighth grader. Well, now I'm going to talk about my the final book I read before this episode, and uh, it's another short one. Uh, just over a hundred pages. It's called Minor Detail by uh, Adania Shibili. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm getting that pronunciation. It's from New Directions Press, which is the same uh, indie publisher who put out the Hour of the Star that I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of quickly becoming one of my favorite uh, publishers, just in terms of the quality of their books. And uh, the uh, breadth of the stuff that they choose to publish, they're seeking out a lot of like works in translation and a lot of um, obscure authors that uh, I just really enjoy, like the discovery element of that. But as far as this book is concerned, it's set in Israel or Palestine in the 1940s and then the 1980s, I want to say, respectively. Uh The first half of the book takes place in the 40s and follows a Israeli army contingent as they're venturing into uh, Palestinian land. An event takes place that results in a uh, crime being committed. And then 25 years later, a man who comes to learn was born on the same day as that incident... I may be jumbling the plot here, but uh, in any event, many decades later, 
this guy who is co- uh, heavily implied as having autism is becomes aware of this event through a newspaper article and sort of feels compelled to set about researching it for himself. And in doing so, he has to break out of a lot of his normal routines. He eventually finds himself like venturing out into some precarious situations. And uh, I won't go into too much detail because honestly, needless to say, not much ends well for anybody. And uh, it's a very sort of heavy book, but... It's just got this really interesting sort of authorial voice. Like the first half especially is very rudimentary in its descriptions. It's sort of cut and dry, repetitive, indicative of like a routine. And then the latter half of the book is by comparison much more lively, uh, much more suffused with uh, cultural detail wherein you're uh, traveling through these um, uh, Palestinian cities and various towns, getting a sense of like the ways that the culture has been shaped over the years. Mm-hmm. So it's just a sort of a compelling read on that end. And again, I probably read the whole thing in just a couple of days. So it's a fairly brisk read, but um, definite, like it's definitely like the most down of a book I've read so far, just how like how how personal the uh, tragedy of the story becomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I still quite liked it, and like I said, it's uh, still head and shoulders above the silence. So I, I would say <laughs> not to not to dunk on Delillo again because I have enjoyed more books of his that I've read than I have disliked. But it is easily the floor of anything I've read so far this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I'll sort of be keeping that in mind as I go along. Okay. Okay. So my final book, I'm, I apparently decided, well, I mean, this was the book that I finished last. Um, I was actually reading it today so that I would be able to talk about it um, during this recording session. And it's definitely, I left the, the most awkward for last. Um, oh boy. So <laughs> this is Enthrall by Vanessa Fewings, and it is the first book in the Enthrall Sessions. Um, it's Enthrall Sessions number one. This particular book, it, I, I feel like you can very confidently put it into the category of erotica. It is about a young woman named Mia, who had a very troubled childhood. Um, She had a lot of tragedy in her childhood. And now she is a young adult living in LA, um, doing the best she can and trying to help pay for her stepmother's medical bills. Anyway, she gets a job as a secretary at a BDSM club. She's fascinated by the head dominant, um, whose name is Richard. She's fascinated by him. She is also fascinated by his friend who is a psychiatrist. Uh, his name is Cameron. Yes, it is very steamy. Um, if you like that kind of thing, I think you would like this book, but I was not a particular fan. I will not be delving into the rest of this series just because I did not have an I could not form a relationship with the characters. And 
in order for me to delve forward into a series or to invest in a series at this point in my life, I have to be invested in the characters. Um, and that did not happen for me with this particular series. Um, now it is interesting because I feel like this book does what 50 shades of gray did not do where it does dive into more of like the psychology behind the people who prefer the P the BDSM lifestyle. So that was very interesting. And I feel like Vanessa Fewings, uh, the author, I feel like she very much did her research. Um, I feel like she did a very good job, you know, emphasizing like safety within this particular lifestyle. But this just, this just was not a book for me. Um, I do not believe this is a series for me and therefore I will not continue to read it. Okay. So my four books, once again, were The Hour of the Star by Clarice Lispector, uh, Why Fish Don't Exist by Lulu Miller, The Silence by Don DeLillo, and Minor Detail by Adania uh, Shibley. Taken all together, these four books have given me, as of now, a word total of 139,828 words. So my four books were... After Darkness Falls by Mary Sage, um, Sage, like the spice, uh, The Duke and I by Julia Quinn, Rising After the Thaw by Tamar Sloan and Heidi Catherine, and Enthrall by Vanessa Fewings. So that gave me a word total of 221,628 words. Okay, so it sounds like I've got some catching up to do. <laughs> yeah, but uh, needless to say, the competition's just getting started. Once again, that's Elizabeth in the lead, but uh, she's going to have some stuff to grapple with uh, before too long because now at the end of the episode, she will be receiving her first reading challenge. I was just going to say, um, so I visited... Thomas, um, or I visited home, uh, very recently and Thomas sent me home with a package and told me to open it during our, during the recording of this episode. So right. when, when do you want that to happen? Well, that we, you can just uh, go ahead and get ready to do that and I'll be give, and I'll give you a sort of a preamble to that. Okay, cool. So there's a couple of unifying threads for this challenge uh one being the challenge you gave me last time which was to read a couple of books from a series that uh had sort of come to recent prominence as a result of a big television adaptation mm -hmm. so i've gotten you something along the same veins on another hand at the start of this episode i talked about how my most uh, prolonged reading engagement from last year was reading manga. Mm -hmm. I would like for you to open the package now. Okay. So for your reading challenge, you will be reading the first three volumes of the manga series To Your Eternity. This is a manga that is being adapted into an anime this April. 
it was supposed to be out, I think, earlier this year or perhaps even later last year, but was obviously pushed back due to COVID. But uh, it's a series I've really come to enjoy. I think that you'll be able to get something out of it too, although I will give you this much of a trigger warning. You will cry. Oh, God. <laughs> it will It will make you cry. Not in a, like, the magician's kingdom uh, sort of way where, like, an actual trigger warning is granted. I think I can, without spoiling too much, at least tell you that there are uh, themes of child endangerment. Okay. So, brace for that, as you will. But uh, all the same, I think it's something you'll be able to handle. Okay. And uh, you'll be able to tell the listeners more about the book and more about what you thought about it when next month... We come around to hearing about how you did with okay. your challenge. And as far as uh, the parameters for the challenge are concerned, I know we did discuss like how we would be ranking graphic novels uh, for this endeavor. Mm -hmm. And if this is okay with you, I'm fine as just having it be the equivalent of uh, 30,000 words. Per book? Three books. Uh, yeah, no, uh, in total. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, that'll be your challenge for next month. I look forward to it. Um, you know, at one point in my life, I was very much into, like, the shoujo manga. Um, yes. I spent a lot of money on fruits baskets. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I look forward to hearing what you think. I look forward to reading these. So, uh, I think that about covers everything. Uh, that's uh, been a good episode for you? Yeah, it has been a very good episode for me. All right. And we thank you again for tuning in. Once again, this has been Your Words Against Mine, a competitive rating podcast between siblings. You can follow along on our bookish adventures at the general hashtag reading glasses. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I was slipping into another thing. Um, <laughs> no, you can follow along at uh, yourwordspodcast.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter. We're also on uh, Facebook. Look on Facebook. You can look for us there. And uh, until, I guess, this, uh, two weeks from now, uh, I've been your co-host, Thomas Dempsey. And I've been your other co-host, Elizabeth Connor. We still haven't settled on a uh, outro short of me just frantically stammering and then shouting bye. I don't see what's wrong with that. Like, I kind of love it. Okay, well, in that case... <laughs> so now do it Bye. on purpose. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.